Welcome to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This weekly podcast explores how your Christian faith connects to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations, Jeff Feuders. Well, welcome to the podcast today. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Great to have you with us. Uh, Our guest today is Bob O'Dell. Bob is a return guest, and uh, we just have enjoyed our interaction with him. He's an entrepreneur and a writer and author of the book, Five Years with Orthodox Jews, How Connecting with God's People Unlocks Understanding of God's Word. And uh, Bob, it's great to have you back on the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. It is absolutely our pleasure. And and today we're going to talk a little bit about about the book and some of your thoughts that uh, uh, you know come to light as 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 we're reading through, and you know it is difficult sometimes for us to believe that Christianity originally began as a sect within Judaism. I know a lot of times visiting in churches and talking to Christians, uh, it's almost even though it's something that we know in our in our heads, it's almost surprising to people when you point out the fact that uh, we have such a deep connection to to Judaism and and those roots of our faith. Uh, Looking back over the last 2,000 years of Christian history, I wonder how would you describe Christianity's relationship with the Jewish people, just for starters? Yeah, um, of course, I've thought about that topic quite a bit and from both perspectives. The perspective of Christians towards uh, the Jewish people has changed so dramatically uh, as the gospel spread around the world and the number of Gentile Christians mushroomed, ballooned to overwhelm the number of, uh, of Jewish believers. Um, and I think with that, it's very easy to fall into the trap of, um, of asserting power, you know? Mm. Asserting power, and I think that's that's really uh, at the root of I think of what 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 where I think you may be heading with your question. But it's also interesting to take it from the Jewish standpoint. Um, the yes, the Jews saw Christianity as a sect of of Judaism, but as the the numbers of Gentiles grew, and as they began to distance themselves emotionally, physically. Um, and even spiritually uh, away from their Jewish brethren and perhaps above their Jewish brethren on the basis of who is the Messiah, Mm. Um, then the Jews, the perception of of Christianity from the Jewish people's standpoint is something that is really hard to hear. I'm going to say it, but it's, it's hard for us as Christians to hear this. But... Jews perceive Christianity as if we were Edom, that brother that split off and ran his, uh, ran his own way. And now we don't think of ourselves like that. We don't think of the, ourselves as like being like Esau, you know? Um, but, um, but, but, but that is a, is a, is a fact that I had to come to grips with when I began 
going to Israel for the purpose of connecting with the Orthodox Jews. And I had to go into that and understand, well, where's that from? What is that about? And it has certainly given me a, a larger perspective of where the Jewish people are coming from and why it's so hard for them to see Jesus as the Messiah at this present time. Mm. That's interesting. And I, I think that, uh, you know, when when we sort of begin to engage this kind of conversation and try to learn from, for example, uh, you know, Orthodox Jews, uh, it's important for for Christians to to be, I would say, maybe use the word secure uh, in their own belief in Yeshua as the Messiah, but also open to deeper understanding. Um, would that be fair? Yeah. And so, yes, yes, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, um, secure in the belief in the Messiah, you know, it wasn't the belief in the Messiah that was such a devising, a divisive issue early on in history. It was the fact that as Christians, we separated and began to, to control and press on and, and begin to persecute and limit the freedom of movement and freedom of, of, uh, of uh, expression uh, within the Jewish people. So um, to, to understand why Jews today would think of Christianity as, as, as Edom or a manifestation of Edom, we have to first understand that the Jews saw the Roman Empire as a manifestation of Edom. Mm. Now, and Christianity came out of the Roman Empire, at least sort of officially, you know, in the, the Roman Catholic Church and so forth. And, and that has been known as sort of the central bastion of Christianity. Of course, you know, Protestantism came, Reformation came 1500 years later, and, and uh, not all Christianity has, has, has been Roman Catholic. But that's the predominant view of uh, the Jews have uh, within historical Christianity. And it stems from the Roman Empire. Mm. Why? Because the Roman Empire acted like Edom. When Edom fought Israel, it wasn't enough for them to shoot arrows from a distance like the Ishmaelites would. You know, the Bible says the Ishmael was an archer. When you fight as an archer, you are distancing yourself from your opponent, right? It, mm. is, an, it is an indirect form of battle. And even today, uh, when, um, uh, when there is a Muslim conflict against, uh, against Israel, it is often indirect. It's often an attempt to find some people to do the dirty work for you, you know, like sending in Palestinian refugees to 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 uh, to bomb Israel, but do it indirectly. Okay, that mm. is the, the the theme of the way Ishmael and his followers have fought um, over the centuries. But Edom, when they fought, they wanted to be right there. They wanted to be in your face, and they wanted to watch you die. And the Roman wow. Empire was the exact same way. They were brutal. They fought with the sword, not with the arrow. They fought right. with the sword and they wanted to see you in your eyes. They invented crucifixion, you know, uh, the Roman Empire. They invented that form of death because it was the most hideous, 
awful, you know, egregious way to watch somebody die. So Israel had been fighting Edom for centuries, and then they see the Roman power come up, and it's the same, it has the same spirit to it. It has the same characteristics to it. Um, uh, now, some people think, well, gee, Rome is like nowhere near Edom. How could, how could that be? But you know what the founding myth of the Roman Empire is? Two oh. brothers raised by wolves. They had no mother. Two brothers raised by wolves. One rose up and fought and killed the other. Does that sound like a Bible story to you? Maybe sort of a modified kind of twisted version of a Bible story? Yeah, maybe. What do you think? Let's go I, with Cain and Jacob Abel. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, okay. Well, yes, yeah, yes, yes, it's both. See, see yeah. uh, 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 Jacob and Esau is a repeat, you know, it, it, except it didn't happen. I mean, uh, uh, there was something in, in Esau that, that held him back. Well, maybe God held him back too, but but so there there is this two brothers, and Esau, he had a great relationship with his father, but he did not have a great relationship with his mother, he, and his mother sided with, with Jacob. So it was almost like he had no mother, and, and, and he had great anger against his brother, and the Bible says he wanted to kill him. So even the founding myth of, of Rome, you know, it, it sort of feels like that same story. So within Jewish thought and within scholarly thought for centuries, Roman Empire has always been Edom. It has never been thought of in any other way. And then when you have the Roman Catholic Church spring up, out of that same empire, then it translates that Christianity now is thought of as somehow a manifestation of Edom. Is there any? Is it any wonder that uh, that when we talk about uh, you know Jesus Christ uh, to so many Jews that it just it just doesn't just doesn't connect, right? Mm. So now that was that was a lot and uh hopefully you know we we're all sort of taking that in i think they're great insights i want to drill down though a little bit on something you said near the beginning when you talked about yes. the fact that that belief in the messiah wasn't necessarily the the major divisive issue so so help me out with yeah. that a little bit. Are we talking about now the relationship between uh, between Gentile Christians and the earliest Jewish Christians? Or, or is that where you're sort of uh, getting that from? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, you know, the original relationship between Gentile Christians and early Jewish Christians was a respectful relationship. You know, there was a disagreement on, you know, uh, on, on, you know, who Jesus was and so forth. Um, but the early Gentile Christians did not go in to synagogues and forcibly uh, command that they convert. Uh, they did not uh, tell the Jewish people, unless you recognize Jesus as Messiah, we're going to take your houses away. Um, and so these are things that began to happen as the, uh, we, we go from the first century to the second to the third to the fourth. And, and there's a, thing, a series of restrictions uh, that continue to build up um, on the Jewish people until by the time it gets to the 12, 1300s. I mean, it's just absolutely uh, you know, out of the pit of hell what, what, what was done to the Jews. It was, it was now a vicious, you know, uh, vicious torture, uh, forced conversions, all of this stuff. 
Right. So, so that that's the experience that the Jews carry. It's not so much about Jesus. It's about it, it's about how could people who claim this guy do such heinous stuff to us? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I, I was trying to you know f sort of think about uh, that. Uh, originally, all Christians were Jews, right? Um, everybody who followed. Jesus as the Messiah, the, the earliest believers were all Jewish. And so there was this subtle, subtle sort of shift as, as more and more Gentiles became believers. Um, and, and there were sort of, I think, two things happening there. And, and you can kind of confirm this for me. I, I know, um, I know what you're talking about when you, when you talk about that, that transition that, that happened, but two things really were happening. One was that, that Jewish or, or sorry, Gentile believers, uh, began to, um, somehow spite, uh, other Jewish believers in Jesus. There was sort of that initial. And then, of course, that spreads then to just a, an overall general treatment of the Jews, uh, whether they believe in Jesus as Messiah or not. Correct? Is it... Yes. Yes. I yeah. think that's a that's a good way, way to put it. And, you know, you can't really spite someone without having a theol theology to sort of back it. You need to, you know, if you are, um, the, the, the Christian leaders who had access to all the New Testament scriptures and, you know, the, the Old Testament and so forth, they had to sort of find a way to justify this raising up of themselves uh, uh, over the Jewish people. Um, and they, they found it in, in what we today refer to as, as replacement theology. Okay, so um, let's let's talk a little bit about um, about some of the things that you mentioned in the book. Um, so describe describe the the relationship that the very first sort of non Jewish Christian had with the Jewish people. You've talked a little bit about that, but uh, oh, th this is this is a great. You know, I, I said I just said that, that the relationship was respectful, but we have you know that 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 principle of first mention, you know, in, in, in scripture, it applies in the old Testament, it applies in the new Testament, the first mention, the first Christian, there is a lesson that we can gain from the very first Gentile Christian that we read about in Acts 10, Cornelius. Um, and, and this guy, he was a centurion and, um, and he, he moved, he, it, it says in scripture, he was part of the Roman cohort out of he's out of Rome, so not just you know some far distant flung. He was right in the center of power there, and 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 he comes and he and he's stationed uh, to live in in Caesarea, uh, Caesarea, as we uh, often say, that coastal town, a Roman town, mm -hmm. and um and the and the, the 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 description of him was 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 very it was very beautiful. It said that he was, he already feared God. He um, was already, he was, he, it says he was giving alms to the, to the Jewish people. He, he was like, he was friendly to the Jewish people. And it, it, even at one point in that chapter, it says that the whole region was respectful of this particular centurion, you know. And, um, and, and so he, 
in order to give alms, in order to be thought of well, you can't do that without relationship. So I think the the, the scriptures uh, implies that he did this in relationship with the Jewish people. So he had a respectful relationship with the existing existing Jews, and it was that man that God decided to first give this vision, you know, and, and, and this vision of go find Peter, you know, go find this man. He's going to come and tell you. And, and so, so he has this vision and then he goes and he sends out people and, and Peter comes back and Peter's like, he doesn't go directly to this guy's house. It for, he first goes and meets with the people in the city. He meets with his Jewish brethren in the city. Say, who is this guy? What's it? And they said, Oh, this guy's a great reputation. And, you know, I, and so then Peter says, you know, I'm, don't really do this. I don't go into the house of a, of a Gentile, but, but what God tells me to do, I guess I do. So he goes in and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit falls on the room. God gives a signal that this is the moment in which there will be a new outpouring uh, of the Spirit on the, the Gentile world. And so, um, so th- that happens. Um, and what happens next in the story? Let's see. Um, uh, does it say that uh, Peter spent the next year with him, uh, taught him all about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and then said, okay, I'm out of here? No, he spends a few days, just a few days, and then he's gone. Hmm. So what's the implication this, that this guy is going to – well, if he was connected with the Jewish people at all, before this happened, would he not feel even more connected now that he's that, that there's something happened? So he shares his experiences and he continues to to learn and to study the Torah, you know, to, to study with the Jewish people to uh, to grow in his faith. I, I just don't see any other 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 way to to read that. So the very first instance of a Gentile coming to Christianity is someone who is willing to go to the land, who is willing to be respectful of the people, and who had a heart for God and a heart for giving and service. And that's who uh, God granted the honor to become uh, the uh, the very first Christian. Uh, now, you, you just, I, I'd like to hear your feedback about that because I'd like to add one more thing about this story that, that might tie everything together. But I'd like to stop and just say, what do you think about what I've said? Well, I think that uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of uh, insight and, and truth in that. You know, Cornelius was someone who was, was as you said, connected to Judaism. Um, he doesn't he doesn't essentially become uh, what we would today call, you know, a Christian until his encounter with, uh, with Peter and and with the Holy Spirit, um, and then beyond that, as far as as any kind of, um, you know, discipleship or spiritual growth, those are terms that we throw around these days. You know how how Cornelius would have proceeded in his relationship with with God through. Yeshua through Jesus. I mean, I mean, we believe that's how that's how he comes, right? So, so uh, with this newfound uh, experience, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and uh, that that supernatural kind of connection as well. I think there's there there is spiritual growth that that happens as a result of of all of those things. Um, 
but as far as uh, as far as sort of what happens from there, I, you know, you're right. We're <laughs> speculating. We're speculating, honestly. But uh, share share this further insight. You've got me intrigued. Well, if we take the story to the next step, um, in not too long. Um, and it may be, I think some people say it's a, maybe about seven years later, we started to be uh, more Gentiles that, that become followers of Jesus in Antioch up, in, up the coast. And they um, be- began to be called Christians there. And so now there starts to be this issue of, okay, what do you do with these Gentiles? How Jewish should they become? You know, and and so there's this controversy: should they even go all the way to be circumcised, like like it like you would if you were sort of converting to Judaism? And so um, this issue had to be dealt with. And so Paul and and Silas and others, you know, they come to Jerusalem to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, and um, uh, you know, and I want to pull it up here just so I I read it correctly. Um, and, and, you know, so everyone talks and Cornelius is mentioned in that chapter as the example, you know, Peter retells the story of what happened all the way piece by piece to what happened in that chapter um, in that event with Cornelius. And he's used sort of as this this example because they know he was like the first Gentile, you know, uh, to come into the faith, so to speak. And so after everybody says their piece, says their piece. Uh, James stands up and famously um, uh, says in verse, uh, what is it, 16? Um, And he quotes from Amos chapter 9, verse 11, when he says, after these things, I will return, uh, God saying, and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. And then... Um, he brings in a couple of other uh, prophetic passages in the prophets and goes on and says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by name, by, by, by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known long, from long ago. So his point is, it's always been God's plan to bring in the Gentiles. Um, and so what we are seeing, he's saying, we, this is what we are seeing. So he goes on to say, let's not burden them with all of the things that um, that we take on um, uh, as Jews. And so let's 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 limit that uh, for them. But what is so fascinating to me, and I, I didn't see this until just a few years ago when I was in Israel and studying this uh, story of Cornelius, and I was talking with this about the Jew- with the Jewish people, and I understood the connection they had with Christianity and Edom. Let me just read what Amos 9.11 says. Uh, Verse 11, this is what James quoted from. Mm -hmm. And on that day, I will raise up the fallen shelter tabernacle of of David and wall up its gaps. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Okay. But the next verse says, so that they, God's people, may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who were called by my name, Mm. declares the Lord who does this. So there's a hint 
right in this verse that the very first Christians that are going to come out are going to come out. It's going to be the remnant of Edom. So we have something very, very beautiful. Cornelius coming from Rome of all places. So we think, oh, that's, that's like, that's just circumstance. No, it's like the perfect place for God to raise up a man who fears him and who wants the truth, who's willing to be kind-hearted and respectful of the Jewish people. That's the guy. He's in his, just like Ruth is redeeming Moab, you know, in the Old Testament. But he is coming in and saying, he's redeeming Edom by being part of that remnant that is going to seek God. So I just think it's an absolute beautiful thing. The scripture says that the first, the, the all are going to come in, but it's going to start with the remnant of Edom. And I'd never seen this until a couple years ago. And, um, and by that, you would be referring to the first uh, Gentile Christians, correct? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Cornelius, the first Gentile Christian, the first to come up in this verse to be uh, uh, to be part of God's plan, you know, to so that all the nations who are called by my name, you know, will will be able to come in. But it has to start somewhere. Mm. And Edom is given that honor, actually. You know, the, it, it, the, the most hated foe, you know, sometimes the, the worst fights are between two brothers. You know, and um, and so so that thing that, that the Jews fear the most is this sort of this Edom thing is actually this place where, where uh, a, a beautiful hearted servant of the Lord comes in. And uh, and he is the example that I think we should take from. Very, very interesting. I uh, had not seen that before. And thanks for uh, for pointing that out for us. I think that's a, a great insight. And, um, you know, sometimes we get hung up on on the order of things. And, and that's why I was asking about the, the first Gentile Christian, because uh, although I know the Jewish yes. people don't like the term Christian, I, I understand that because of the connotations of history and some of those kind of things. Um, you know, we still we still believe and know that the first, you know, the first Christians, the first ones to be called little Christs were were Jews who followed yes. Jesus. So, um, yes, important to make that yes. distinction, I think. So so now we're, we're talking about this and and we want to get to this topic of of replacement theology uh, as we yeah. understand it yeah. today. How what's your what's your quick definition of, of replacement theology? Well, I say, uh, and, and this is, I'm just quoting from the book here. There's five things. If you, if you believe any one of these, then you are an adherent to replacement the theology. The first uh, tenet uh, of it is that while individual Jews may be saved through the acceptance of Jesus as the Lord and Savior, God has rejected the Jewish people as an instrument of his purposes because they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Um. Uh, second tenet of replacement theology. Because the Jewish people have transgressed God's covenants, they've broken it, no question, they broke. Then because of that, God has abolished those covenants with respect to them. Um, I don't believe scripture supports that, but, but, but there is sort of an implicit, there's a thought and, 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 uh, that, that appears within the church um, where it's, it's just sort of assumed. 
Third tenet, the church has taken Israel's place as the covenant people of God, mm. or at least replaced them with respect to the purposes of God. Number four, modern Israel is therefore an aberration of history. It's irrelevant. And finally, the biblical promises given to Israel are now subsumed by the church. Every good thing in scripture that it talks about Israel is, is taken uh, by the church. Now, I, I do not think, first of all, replacement theology isn't taught in seminary, it's just assumed. That's the problem. Can we have a discussion about these things? Can we, can we wrestle through these things together as Christians? Let's just not assume that they're all correct. Um, and, and I certainly have no problem. I read scripture and I see a promise to Israel and I take that, you know, uh, uh, for me and my family, but I don't exclude the Jews from it. Exactly. I, I, I see that I'm grafted in to that. I am part of Israel. Uh, I, I'm one of those wild branches that has been grafted in by the grace and mercy of God. I'm part of the nations that have been called by his name. And, and, I, and I've been grafted into those promises, but they're not mine at the exclusion of theirs. Yeah. No, that's exactly the way I've approached it as well. I think that too often we we, sim we simply make the contextual jump to believe that all those promises for us, which I don't think is is a, you know a stretch necessarily, but we do it often at the expense of those yeah. those original promises to Israel, and God certainly never intended for that to to be the case. And and you know those five things that you talked about, those are very very good um, good sort of benchmarks I think for us to to kind of self search you know search our hearts and figure out if if replacement theology has really affected who we are and what we believe and i think that uh, you know for a lot of people my own experience uh, i think even as a, a pastor of 20 years was was one of um you know not really realizing the subtle influence that that kind of thinking had had on even you know my own my own theology and going to Israel and beginning to to develop a relationship with not only the land but with some of the people there helped me to to really see that God still has uh, an important plan for Israel. He's doing some amazing things through Israel and his purposes, his plans although, you know, we don't know them from beginning to end. We we have some indicators and it's clear to me at least that God is not finished with with uh, the nation of Israel with the Jewish people and uh, that there are still some very significant things to happen. And so um that's why I love having these conversations because I think I think a lot of people would would as you mentioned, you know, this isn't overtly taught as a theology in seminary. Uh, it's just assumed. It's right. that subtle sort of influence that down over the centuries has kind of crept into to our, our belief about Israel and the Jewish people. And so I think that uh, if you're watching, if you're listening, and you're truly open to what, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to do in your own heart with regard to how you feel about this and, and what you believe about this, then you need to be hearing what, what Bob is sharing today and, and understanding that we, um, 
you know, we as believers, we are the ones, Gentile believers specifically, the ones who've been who've been grafted in after the fact, and that the the root is a is a Jewish root. Uh, Yeshua was Jewish. The first believers were Jewish, and that that Acts uh, text that you just read, you know, that always it makes me uh, smile a little bit or chuckle almost sarcastically because it's so ironic that that initially. You know, the Jews were having a discussion about what do we do with all these Gentiles? You know, do we do we let them in? How do we how do we treat them? How do we sort of bring them into the fold? And you fast forward just a few hundred years and a very, very different conversation is happening. You know, what are we going to do yes. with all these Jews? Uh, do we do we let them yes. continue to be, you know, quote unquote Jewish or do we make them convert to our version of of Christianity? And that's the irony of this whole conversation. Um, so so it's a very good definition that you've shared. Uh, do you feel that that replacement theology is at the root of of most Christian, at least Christian anti-Semitism over the last 2000 years? Yes, I think of anti-Semitism in coming in, in two different uh, forms. One is just um, because it is a, a spirit. Uh, uh, there's a spirit behind anti-Semitism. It, it hates Christ. It hates anything uh, to do with Jesus. So it hates Christians and, and it hates Jews because he's both, you know, he's Jewish. Right. And so, so, uh, and, and that pervades all cultures in all situations. But specifically with respect to the Christian view of it, um, there has to be a theological uh, uh, found, foundation, an errant one, a wrong one, but yet something has to be built in order to justify this. We don't necessarily, you know, we don't want to see Jews, um, you know, uh, killed or anything like that. But but no. there's a, there's this thing of well, we're we're ahead of you. <laughs> We're ahead of we're we're ahead of you in the line. <laughs> we're we're ahead of you in the blessings of God. I guess you you know you you just want you to know that we're you know we're the ones that are going to bring the gospel in. You know and 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 you know mind your own business and and you know it's good and but but you know when God comes into His kingdom, He's you know we're gonna we're gonna be given in all these rewards for what we do. And you can you know I don't know what your place is, but see you see so it's just more of a of a it's we're like a head and. And, and when you think of replacement theology as just, you know, who's ahead of who in the spiritual blessing <laughs> contest, which is what a stupid thing to say, but, but I mean, yeah. if we think of who's ahead of who, then we can, we can start to have an inkling that replacement theology didn't start with Christianity. It didn't start there. And I believe it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Wow. Well, that's something that we need to talk about a little further. Um, just just before we get to the the Garden of Eden, you know, tell me about some other examples of of replacement theology that we find uh, in the Bible, in especially in the in the Old Testament, and and then maybe yes. where can we also see the opposite of that, the opposite spirit to replacement huh. theology? Just share a little bit about that. Great. Well, you know, in the New Testament, there isn't a better example than Cornelius coming with the opposite spirit. Um, uh, also, when Paul writes and he, and he t tells us in, in Romans 11, don't be arrogant. OK, um, but moving into the the um, the Old Testament, you know, there is. Um, 
I think this whole Esau Jacob story has something in it for us. Before they were even born, um, uh, what does it say? Uh, before they were even born, Paul says, uh, it had already been decided that the older would serve the younger. Now, what, what a difficult thing for Esau, mm. right? He's born first for the older to serve the youngest. I mean, I, we don't know if he ever heard that uh, prophecy or not. Um, he certainly fought against it. And, and, and it's a hard thing, but, but, um, there's a, what if, what if Esau was to see himself as the one who went first, born first? What if he was to see himself instead of the older, serve the younger? What if he would see his, that his job was to help bring in the promises that his brother uh, would have. Then all of a sudden, you think about the story of Jonathan and David. Hmm. It's the perfect antidote to that story. You have the kingdom of Saul. It was his kingdom, but God said, it's going to be taken away from you and given to somebody who's after my own heart. Very hard thing for Saul to hear. But Saul said, well, but it's my kids. I want my kids to stand in my kingdom. And we're, we, I don't want to lose this thing. I don't want to give it up. I, do, I don't want to agree with God, with what God was saying. And, and, but Jonathan, his son, he sees what David does and the way he handles himself after the Goliath incident. And he said, and it says, the heart of Jonathan was kindled to the heart of David. And Jonathan, they made a covenant together. They, and they had this beautiful relationship, one of the closest relationships that is described in Scripture. And he never falters in his love for David, and he never falters in the wisdom that God had some kind of larger plan, but God would somehow take care of Jonathan somehow in that. Didn't understand it, but God would take care of him. So that is the most beautiful antidote that I know uh, in the Old Testament of preparing the way for somebody else, mm. of, of living sacrificially uh, for somebody else. And, you know, the story of Jonathan in the world to come, I think there are some special places, some special things that God has for him and his line for, you know, for having made, for him personally, for having made that very difficult choice to love David as much as he chose. And he loved his father too, you know, um, and, and tried to walk that fine line and, and um, ultimately lost his life. But, but I mean, you know, he is a hero. I think he should be a hero for us as Christians. When we think about our Jewish brethren, they've been given certain promises. They're not going to be nullified by us. Um, but we, we can be part of that story. And, and, and we have been given the fu this fullness of the Gentiles that we're experiencing. All these billions of people that have come to Christ is because they didn't see. Uh, you know, it, it, this is what Paul writes. It's because of their disobedience that this fullness has come. So, you know, and God's going to work it all out. And then eventually all Israel will be saved, it says. So, mm -hmm. so there's, there's some really beautiful things there. I hope that inspires our, our, our listeners as well. Well, that's great. And uh, thanks for sharing. I, I think that uh, there's just lots of other conversations, uh, you know, around that, that, you know, just that one phrase, you know, that, that all Israel will be saved. Man, we can have uh, some long conversations about that and, and how that might happen. I uh, Just before we sign off here, Bob, I want to just say, you know, the, the story of Jacob and Esau, 
and and the fact that it was of course you know god's plan and purpose that the the older would serve the younger that that jacob would be the son of promise that he would uh you know lead uh begin i guess the the nation of israel as after he's renamed israel but that whole that whole story and and there's there's other i think stories that that uh, uh reflect on this as well it, it comes about some of it uh, of the uh, out of the influence of of favoritism you know that that one one son was the favorite of of one parent and one was the favorite of the other and That's right. and this enmity begins to to build very young right and so um we have to we have to be really really careful i think we have to be careful as as gentile christians that we don't somehow set ourselves up as you know the favorite as the best the most blessed or whatever and then on the other hand you know as as gentile believers who believe believe and and support god's plans and purposes for israel we also have to be careful that we don't elevate uh the the jewish people to a, a position of the the favorite either because we know that that's not god's heart that uh, that God has a special plan and he, and he continues to work it out through Israel and through the Jewish people and through uh, those who have come after. You know, I, I love um, I love the text in Deuteronomy that, that talks about a covenant of love to a thousand generations of, of those who believe. And and I think that uh, that that tells a, a much longer story and that we're sort of all in this together. And we need to yes. understand, first of all, that that we don't you know, as, as Jewish or as, as Gentile believers, we don't replace anybody that we're just a part of God's bigger family and that we are, you know, a, a, a brother uh, or, a, or a stepbrother to the, the Jewish people who uh, also will come to believe. And I, uh, there's a lot said in that and there's a lot of intricacy to that, but uh, I, I just think it's so great for people to hear you talk about some of this today. So, it's been great to have you on the podcast today, and I know that we'll have you back again very soon. But uh, Bob, God bless you and, and all the work you do. Just remind people again the title of the book and how they can get it if they want to get a copy for themselves. Five Years with Orthodox Jews, How Connecting with God's People Unlocks Understanding of God's Word. It's available on Amazon. Perfect. Well, if you're watching, listening today, you need to go check that out. And uh, thanks again for being with us on the podcast. Israel, that meaningful name is mentioned more than 2,300 times in the Bible. It is from this land, nation, and people that Christianity emerged some 2,000 years ago. But since that time, Christianity has become mostly disconnected from Israel. And without an understanding of the Jewishness of Jesus and our Hebraic foundations, so much of the depth and meaning of the Bible is lost. First Century Foundations is committed to helping Christians reconnect and stay connected to Israel. We invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can view our TV programs and weekly video podcasts, Keeping It Israel. Follow us on Facebook and our other social media platforms. Let's reconnect to Israel and stay connected. Find out more at firstcenturyfoundations.com.